Well, turning your Bibles <clears throat> to 2 Samuel chapter 14, 2 Samuel 14, we're continuing, of course, our study of the history of the nation of Israel, but we're actually seeing it right now through the eyes of King David. And when we think about David, he, he's probably one of the greatest men of all in the Bible. He's a man after God's own heart, but we're seeing a time of trouble for David. He has committed sin with Bathsheba, and we're seeing the consequences that affects his life, it affects his family, it affects even the entire nation of Israel. So this morning we're going to continue seeing the issue of David and his son Absalom. If you remember, there was some real issues there. Absalom killed one of the other brothers, and he's been living with his grandfather, and he's gone, and so there's been problems. And so the question is, is it going to be reconciliation? Is David and Absalom going to get back together? So as we look at this passage, there's some issues I want you to think about. Division and conflict, problems within the local body, what happens there? We'll talk about the past. How do we deal with the past? And then the whole issues of forgiveness, reconciliation, how that ties together. What does it mean to forgive? And how do we relate to others? And so there's a lot of things I think that we can apply from this passage. As we begin, let me just throw something out that I know is true. I was going to raise this question. Have you ever held a grudge against somebody? The answer, of course, is, of course you have. We all have. You, you know, we did, somebody did us wrong. We can't forget it. We say, no, they, they hurt me. I'm, they're not going to get away with it. And, and, and what happens when somebody does us wrong? A lot of times we'll say, uh, we, we talk about them to somebody else, or we ignore them. We say, if they're going to do that to me, I'm never going to talk to them again. Or we try to get them back. We, we think vengeance belongs to us when we know vengeance belongs to the Lord. Well, when believers have conflict, there's always issues that damages the testimony of the believers. So when, what are we to do? Well, we're to be reconciled. We're to forgive one another. And we are to forgive and love one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. So we're going to see this as we look through this passage. Uh, the passage is kind of a hard passage because if you remember, Absalom has killed his brother and one off and David is there and, and David's missed the one that died and now he's still missing the one that's run off. And so in this passage, we're going to think about forgiveness and reconciliation. And we could raise this question. Is this the beginning of forgiveness and reconciliation for David and Absalom? And we'll see how that fits together. So let me remind you what's happened. David had a number of wives. We think he had at least eight wives. And he has sons born with each of those wives. The oldest son was named Amnon. And then there was another son, but we don't know much about him. Then there was the third son down named Absalom. Absalom had a sister who was beautiful. Her name was Tamar. The older son, the older brother, named Amnon, he, he actually wanted to be with Tamar, but he actually took her, he, he, molested, he, he raped her, and then threw her out. And the brother, Absalom, basically said, I'm going to get him back one day for what he's done. Because when David heard about it, David didn't do anything about it. And that was bad. And so we see what's going on, and what happened is that Absalom says, one of these days, I'm going to get... Amnon for what he did. And we're going to realize that about um, a couple of years passed, and a couple of years they had a party, and what happened is Absalom had some of his servants kill Amnon. And then everybody ran off, and Absalom, instead of going back home because he didn't know what to do, he went to live with his grandfather, Talmai, who was the king of Gersher. Uh, Talmai's daughter married David, and that's why that, that Absalom's grandfather was Talmai. So he's now living away, and he's going to be there for three years. And so what's going to happen? What, what, what's going to happen now? If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 14, if you just look back to verse 38 of chapter 13, notice it says this. So Absalom had fled, 
and gone to Gersher and was there three years. So Absalom has been gone. Now think about this. David has lost a baby boy. Now David has lost his oldest son. The next son in line really is Absalom has now run off and been gone for three years. So everything has fallen apart in David's life. If you remember, because Nathan came to David and told David that about the, the sin, and David confessed his sin and said he had, you know, he had done that with Bathsheba and he had had Uriah killed and all of this. And God says, I'm going to let you live, but there are going to be consequences in your family. There are going to be consequences. The sword will not depart from your family. We know in the Old Testament, if you stole something from somebody else, you had to pay back four. Well, David stole somebody's wife and killed him. And now David's going to pay back four. And what we see is David's already paid back. He lost one son. Now he's lost a second son. And before it's over, David will lose two more sons. He'll lose four sons. Now, if you notice in the very end of chapter 13, it says this. The heart of the king, David, longed to go out to Absalom. And for he was comforted but it's concerning Amnon because since he was dead. He said he's now gotten over the death of Amnon and he really wants to see Absalom come back. That's what he wants. He wants him to come back. And, and this is really, really hard because, I mean, Absalom's committed murder. And he's hiding out, basically. And nobody knows what's going on. And everybody in the, in the nation of Israel knows that King David's son has run off and all the things that are happening. And so we're going to see that Joab, who is David's nephew, will see what he decides to do. Let me give you the outline of our passage. And as David longs for Absalom, we see this woman of Tekoa. We actually called our message today the wise woman of Tekoa. What happens here? We see Joab's instructions. We see the plan. The woman comes with a story, what she says, and what David says. And so this is what we'll see today. We'll go, for, we'll go through it fairly quickly. I just want you to be able to put this together. Man, what we see is a contrast between vengeance and forgiveness. Absalom got vengeance on his brother. And that was wrong. So what's going to happen now? We're going to see, is there a possibility of reconciliation and forgiveness between David and Absalom? And we'll see what happens. And we know that whenever there's division and conflict, there's sadness and sorrow, all of those kind of things. In fact, when you think about the body of Christ, anytime there are conflicts within the local body, that is always sadness. It always hurts the testimony. It always does that sort of thing. And that's why we, you know, we talked about our church as a whole. We are amazing body of believers. I, the, the love, the people for one another, the, how do we get along, the unity, it is so vital. I want you to look at this, Psalm 133, verse 1. It's a song of ascents. It's from David. Here's what he says. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. He's basically saying it's good that people are unified, and, and that's what we're supposed to be. Now, let's look at what's happened. So just remember, Absalom's killed Amnon and run off. It's been three years. What's David going to do? What's going to happen? Notice chapter 14, verse 1. Now, Joab, the son of Jeruah, perceived that the king's heart was inclined toward Absalom. Now, who is Joab? You remember David had a sister named Zerah, and she had three boys. And one of them is Joab. And uh, Abishai was one, and Ashiel was one. Ashiel got killed. So Joab is David's general. He's actually David's nephew, but he's a strong, great leader. And, and let me just say that when you look at Joab in the Bible, sometimes you look at Joab and you go, wow, what a guy. He's amazing. And then you look at him and you go, he's a scoundrel. 
He's just kind of because there's some good things he does and some really bad things that he does. Well, in this one, he wants something good. He, he wants David to be reconciled with his son. And we'll talk about why. Why would he want that? Well, Joab perceived that David wanted Absalom to come home. Joab also thought that Absalom might be the next king. Now, let me tell you, Joab is thinking ahead. He's saying, one day David's going to die. And then Absalom's going to become king. And if I helped Absalom get back home with David, he'll make sure I have a good position. So I think Joab thinks that way. What, what they don't really know is God has already picked Solomon to be the next king. His name is Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. His name is Solomon. And that, that, he's going to be the next king. And, and so here's what happens. So now Joab, the son of Zerah, perceived that the king's heart was inclined toward Absalom. So here's what he does. So Joab sent to Tekoa, and brought a wise woman from there and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner. Put on mourning garments now. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but be like a woman who's been mourning for the dead many days. Then go to the king and speak to him in this matter. So Joab put words in her mouth. So Joab, let me just show you this. Where's Tekoa? Just for you to know, David is in Jerusalem. Bethlehem is eight miles from Jerusalem, and Tekoa is about six miles from Bethlehem. So Joab sends word to this woman. She must have been famous. She must have been famous as a wise woman. She must have been somebody that people depended on because it says he sent to Tekoa and brought a wise woman from there. And so he goes and gets this woman and says, I, I want you to do something. I want you to, to uh, uh, he take the woman from Tekoa, and he thinks he, she's going to go to King David and solve a problem. Now, he, let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to say, look, we're going to make up a story, and you're going to go tell this story to King David. He doesn't know it's a story. You tell him, and then when, when we get to the end of it, then you can say these other things, and when it's all over with, David's going to want to bring his son back home. That's what Joab thinks is going to happen. So, look what happens. Verse 4. Now, when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Now, you might look at this and say, Could just anybody go see the king? Well, apparently, yes. I mean, you know, you could go and make a petition and go before the king. You know, in the Roman Empire, if you were a Roman citizen, you could say, I want to stand before the Caesar. I want to stand before the emperor. Now, it might take years before you got there, but you'd eventually get to stand before the emperor. That's why Paul said, I want to stand before Caesar. And it took like four years before Paul ever got there, but he did. And so here's this woman, and she says, I want to see the king. If you remember, later on, Solomon is the king. And you remember the two prostitutes came to Solomon, and they had babies, and one of them died. And what each woman was saying, that's her, the living baby was hers. And they came and stood before the king, Solomon, and he made a decision for them. And so sometimes people could go actually see the king. So verse 4 says, Now the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king. She fell her face on the ground, prostrated herself, and said, Help, O king, I've got an issue, I've got a problem. The king said to her, What is your trouble? And she said, or answered, Truly I'm a widow, for my husband is dead. Now she starts off uh, wanting sympathy. Now I'm going to be honest with you. We don't know whether, I mean, she's a wise woman for Tekoa. We don't know whether she's a widow or not. We don't know if this is part of the story. Most likely it's part of the story that she made up. Her and Joab made this story up. So she says, I just want you to know I am a widow. Truly, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. When you look in the Bible, you see that there are two kinds of widows. There's a widow who's lost her husband but has a family. And then there's a widow who's called a widow indeed, which has nobody to help them. 
Now, so what's supposed to happen in the Bible that when a widow, when her husband dies, it is the responsibility of the rest of her family to take care of her. If in the Old Testament or New Testament, there's a widow indeed, and she has nobody to help her, under the Mosaic law, if you were a widow and you had no one to help you, you could go into the fields of somebody else and they, they were not, under the Mosaic law, they were not to glean from the corners of the fields and the poor people and the widows could come and they could get food from the corners of the field. That was their responsibility. In the New Testament, what we find is Paul writes that if there's a person who's a widow, it's the responsibility of her family to take care of her. If she's a widow indeed, if she has been a faithful believer, then the church takes care of her. But she's got to be a faithful believer. So 1 Timothy 5, widow basically lets their family take care of them. This woman comes and she's going to tell the story and she says, I don't have a husband and uh, he's dead. Verse 6, your maidservant, she said, I had two sons, one of the, the, but the two of them were struggling together in a field and there was one, no one to separate them, so one struck the other and killed him. And so here's her story. I had two boys, I have two boys, and they went out in the field, they got the big argument, and right in the middle of the argument, one of them killed the other one. Okay, that's her story. Now David thinks it's, thinks it's real. He goes, oh my goodness. And then she says this. Now behold, the whole family has risen against your maidservant, and they say, hand over the one who struck his brother that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed and destroy the heir also. I'll stop there for a second. She basically says, well, I had two boys, and they were fighting, and one killed the other one, and then the rest of the family says, well, we gotta kill the one who killed that one because that's what you're supposed to do. Under the Old Testament, there was a thing called the Ga'al, G-A-A-L in Hebrew, and it means the kinsman redeemer or kinsman avenger. If someone killed somebody that was a part of your family, you had the right under the Mosaic law to chase them down and catch them and kill them. Unless they got to a city of refuge, unless that it was, it was, it was accidental. If it was accidental, you didn't get to kill them. They're saying, she's saying in her story, she says, the rest of the family wants to kill him. And she says, now just think about this. I don't have a husband. I only had two boys. One is dead. If they kill this one, I got nothing. And so she goes on in the story and says, thus, the last part of verse uh, 7, thus they will extinguish my coal which is left so as to leave my husband neither name nor remembrance on the face of the earth. Says, listen, if, if they kill my other son, I, got, I have nothing left. And so I want you to protect my son. That's basically what she's doing. Now, this is a made-up story, but David thinks it's real. And so what is David going to do? Now, I want you to watch his progression. Verse 7, then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I'll give orders concerning you. David says, uh, I'll, put, I'll decide. I'll decide what to do. Now, he basically said, thank you for coming, and I'll let you know. <laughs> She's not going to stop there, because that's not the plan. She thought that her and Joab had this thing figured out, see? So whatever David says, she's going to keep on going. So watch what she does. Then verse 9, the woman of Tekoa said to the king, Oh, my Lord, the king, the iniquity is on me in my father's house, but the king and his throne are guiltless. And, and, and so she's basically saying, if you let him live, I know that's contrary to the Gael, but uh, th put it on me. You, you won't, you, you're just saving my life and you're just helping me. So it's not really you, David, doing wrong. It's really me doing wrong by letting this son live. That's what she's saying. And, and so what does David say to that? That the king said, whoever speaks to you, verse 10, bring him to me 
and he'll not touch you anymore. Now look at the progression. He started off by saying, just go home and I'll let you know. Now he says, no, 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 I will protect you from those who are against you. So you see the progression. Well, she's not through. She says, I got a story to tell and I got to get the whole thing done. So what does she say? Uh, verse 10 again, the king said, whoever speaks to you, bring him to me and he'll not touch you. Then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God so that the avenger of blood, that's the kinsman avenger, the, kin, uh, the avenger of blood will not continue to destroy Otherwise, they will destroy my son. She keeps going and she says, please don't let him kill my boy. Please don't let him kill my boy. He started off by saying, I'll decide. Then he says, they won't touch you. Now watch what he says in this verse. She says, they will destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. He says, he's going to spare I'm, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. So look at his progression. He started off by saying, go home. I'll let you know. No, no, no. I'll protect you. Oh, okay. He will be spared. He's made the decision right there. Okay. Your son gets to live. I'll give the decree and your son will get to live. That seems good, but that's not, she's not through because she's got a plan. And this is Joab's plan. And this is Joab's plan to bring back Absalom. Watch what she does. Then the woman said, please let your maidservant speak a word to my lord the king. And he said, speak. She said, do you mind if I talk to you a minute about something? And you can see David saying to himself, look, I've already taken care of you. I, your son's going to be okay. He's not going to be killed. But you want to talk to me. Okay, go ahead. Tell me what you want to say. And look what she says. The woman said... Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in speaking this word, the king is as the one who is guilty in that the king does not bring back his banished one. Now, boy, she puts it right on him. And here's what she says. She says, how do I really know you're going to take care of my son? Because you have a son that's run off and you've never brought him back. You're telling me my son has run off, but you're going to make sure he gets to come back. What about your son? And here's what she's really saying. If David would protect a guilty son that he does not know, would he not protect his own guilty son? So she basically said, well, you're taking care of me. Why don't you take care of you? Why haven't you taken care of your son? Everybody knows your son has run away and he's separated from you. You're saying you're going to save my son's life. What about your son's life? Boy, she's challenged him right there. If I was, you know, David could have said, well, who are you? And why are you asking me these questions? This, you know, you could say, you know, you could see David thinking that way. Uh, and uh, you, you've not done this. How do I know for sure? And then she says something that's really amazing. She says, we'll all surely die. And like water spilled out on the ground and it can't be gathered up again. She's basically saying, listen, once somebody's dead, it's over. You can't do anything about it anymore. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways that the banished one will not be cast out. He says God's plan is not to banish people, it's to reconcile people. She says, you can't change the past, David. Your son did wrong and he's gone. She's actually saying, my son did wrong, he's gone. You said he could come back. Your son did wrong, he's gone, but you've never said he could come back. Now, is God's plan reconciliation? Of course it is. God's plan is forgiveness and reconciliation. What is the story of the Bible? The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. It's reconciliation. 
I mean, she's right when she says God's plan is to reconcile, not separate. And God's plan is to reconcile all of us. His plan is to bring unbelievers into a relationship, taking sinful men, bringing us back to him, using Jesus Christ who died and rose again. That's the plan. And basically, when we think about sin and forgiveness and all this thing, let me raise a question. How do we deal with past sins and conflicts? Because every one of us in this room, we've, we've been in conflicts in the past. We've sinned in the past. What do we do? Well, let's, let's talk about what about sin, okay? What do we do when we sin? We confess it. That means to tell on yourselves. And don't carry the guilt. Confessing of sin is this. If I do, let's say I lied, then when I confess to God, I say, God, I come to you. I've lied, okay? I don't have to say I'm sorry, even though I may be sorry. I don't even have to ask him to forgive me because he already does. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, you can come to him and say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness. That's okay. But he already says, once you confess, I will forgive you. Now, let me talk about guilt for a second. Don't carry the guilt after you confess your sins. There's two kinds of guilt. There's what we call true guilt, and that's when you sin, and you know you've done wrong, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you know you've done wrong, and so you need to confess it. And once you confess it, it's over with. There is what we call false guilt, which means you sin, you confess it, you are forgiven, but you keep going around like, boy, did I blow it. I don't know what God's going to do. I'm so sad. I messed up. Listen, what did he say? It's over. Forget the things that are behind, press on to the things that are ahead. He said, listen, when you sin, confess it. I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Sometimes people feel guilty and it's called false guilt because God's already dealt with it and you've already confessed it. So when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If possible, when we sin, make restitution. If we sin against somebody and it's something that you could do, make restitution. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes things happen, there's nothing you can do. In the Old Testament, if you stole somebody's sheep, you paid back four. You know, they didn't put you in jail. They didn't have jails. Israel, under your Mosaic law, they didn't have a jail. Some things you did wrong, they killed you. And some things you did wrong, you made restitution. You paid for it. And then you were out and you did your own thing. So if possible, sometimes when we deal with people, make restitution. The third thing, if possible, reconciliation. Now I put if possible, why? Because it takes two people to reconcile. You may want to reconcile with somebody, but they don't want to reconcile with you. So that's that way. Second, there are times that you forgive somebody but you don't want to reconcile with them because they hurt you and they could hurt you again and they may be dangerous to even be with them. And so sometimes it's okay not to be reconciled, okay? Be careful because sometimes you say, I cannot put myself back in that same situation. And then the last thing is look to the future. As Philippians says, forget the things that are behind, press on to the things that are ahead. Seek to live for Christ and make an impact. Now, in verses 14, 15, and 15, uh, 15, 16, and 17, she just talks about what's happened and what he's done for her. Now, look, I'll just read them to you. Look what she says. She said, now, the reason I came to speak this word to my Lord, the king, is that people have made me afraid. So your maidservant said, let me now speak to the king. Perhaps the king will perform the request of his maidservant. She said, I came to you because I was afraid. Now, this is a story. She's made it up. The king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy both me and my son from the inheritance of God. She said, I know you were going to do it. 
Then your maidservant says, please let the word of my Lord, the king, be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my Lord, the king, to discern good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. So she's just building him up and buttering him up and saying, that's why I came. I came to bring this. And I knew that you would listen to me. And you know what she's really saying? You heard what you said? You said, my son who did wrong needs to be brought back. What about your son who did wrong? Doesn't he need to be brought back? That's what she's saying. Now, David is catching on. He's beginning to say, this sounds fishy to me. You know, this does, it's not adding up. Who is this woman? Where did she get all, and why is she saying this to me? And so look at verse 18. The king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide anything from me that I'm about to ask you. And the woman said, let my lord, the, the king, please speak. He says, listen, uh, this is how she said about David. She said, you know good and evil. You know what's right. Hey, David asked her the question. He says, would you give me an honest answer? I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to tell me the truth. Because what David is actually saying is, I don't think you've been telling me the truth. So look what he says. She said, well, let the Lord speak. He said, so in verse 19, so the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this. <laughs> David's pretty smart, isn't he? Hey, is Joab behind all this? Is Joab the one behind you coming here and coming up with this story about a son who went away and wants to be brought back, and then you say, your son went away and needs to be brought back? I think, tell me the truth. Is Joab behind all this? Is he the one put you up to this? And the woman replied, as your soul is, my Lord, the king, nobody can turn to the right or the left or anything from my Lord, the king has spoken. Indeed, it was your servant Joab who commanded me, and it was he who put all these words into the mouth of your maidservant. She basically says, yep, Joab told me to tell this story and told me to tell you what to tell you. Wow. Now, let's talk, think about Joab for a second. Sometimes Joab is so great. You go, Joab is great, and then Joab is bad. And I think in this, he's a combination. He really wants Absalom to come back to be with David because he knows that David wants Absalom back. But he also knows that if Absalom comes back, Absalom's most likely going to be the next king. That's what he thinks. And so he'll be in good with the king. And so he's kind of covering his tracks and making sure everything is okay. Let's talk about forgiveness for a second because when we look at this, David technically is going to have to forgive Absalom for what happened. And when we think about how people hurt us or their sin, what, what about forgiveness? So let, let's talk about it for just a second and then we'll, we'll close. But when I think about forgiveness, let's think about three things. What is forgiveness? Why forgive? And the results of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is actually canceling the debt. It, the, the Greek, both the Greek word and the Hebrew word for forgiveness have the idea of to lift it up, to put it away, to carry it away, let it like to fly off, to get rid of it. It means to cancel the debt. And what that means is when somebody's hurt you and they've done you wrong, to forgive them means to let it go and you're not expecting them to come. You can say, you know, they need to come to me and they need to tell me they're sorry. They may never come. In fact, you know what? They may not care. If you're waiting for them to come say they're sorry, you may never hear it. What forgiveness is, you're releasing it. You're not expecting them to come. You're not expecting them to ever. You're just saying, I let it go, and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Whether they ever come or not, it has nothing to do with me. I'm forgiving them. 
Forgiveness is powerful. And forgiveness is really for us. It cancels the debt. Let me say, there may be uh, memories and feelings. Every time you think about that situation, you may remember it, you may have feelings, but that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. They don't owe you anything. Let it go. And so it's 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 a great thing. Now, here's the second thing. Why forgive? Why should we forgive others that hurt us? Well, first of all, it's commanded by God. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And so if he forgives us, we should forgive others. So we remember how much Christ has forgiven us, and we pray for those who offended us. We live for ways to show, we look for ways to show kindness. Now, let me be honest. Man, we talked about this last week and the week before that. This is a supernatural life. The natural life says, I want vengeance. The supernatural life and the power of the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to show kindness. I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to love these people. Here's the second thing, though. Forgiveness is best for us. Now, that seems kind of funny, but it's best for us because if we don't forgive, here's what happens. If you've got a grudge on somebody and you don't forgive them and you're, back, and you're saying one of these days, you know, I might even get them one of these days, or they should come to me and they should tell me how sorry they are, and you do that, you don't forgive, what's going to happen is you're going to get angry. And when you get angry, then you get bitter. And then when you get bitter, you get depressed. And, and uh, as you go through life, suddenly you're just sad and messed up and mad. And you don't even know. Sometimes you don't even know why. Sometimes when people come in the office and they're depressed, sometimes I'll say, who are you mad at? What's happened to you? And many times we'll find out. We go back. There's somebody that hurt them. They never got over it. They're still angry about it. They're still thinking that person needs to come. And it's gone all the way down to anger and depression, and it will. I found this little poem. Look what it says. I opened up the prison door, used forgiveness as the key, and when I let the prisoner go, I found out that it was me. We're the one that are in prison when we don't forgive. The third thing is the results of forgiveness is we're back in the fellowship with God and fellowship with others, and Galatians 5 has talked about that. And, and that, that's, there's the reconciliation and the forgiveness there. So here's a, a thing about forgiveness. We forgive even if we're not asked for forgiveness. Now just think about that. The person who hurt you may never come to you and may never even recognize that they did wrong. And sometimes you can even go to a person and say, do you realize that hurt me? And they go, I don't care. I didn't hurt you. Just, you're just too sensitive. And, and so they don't care. So you, you forgive. Even if they don't ask for forgiveness, you release the debt. And second, how often do you forgive? Every time. If they come to you, remember when Peter said to Jesus, he said, how often should we forgive others? Um, seven times? And Jesus said, 70 times seven, which meant every time. So always forgive. It's powerful. So now watch. Watch what happens. So um, ver- uh, uh, it said, this is from Joab. And, and basically says, in order to change the appearance of your servant, Job has done this thing. But my Lord is wise like the wisdom of the angel of God to know all that's in the earth. He says, Joab had this plan. He just wanted you to be reconciled to your son, but you saw right through it. You're like an angel of God. You know everything. That's what she's saying to him. So look at the next verse. And we could say, oh boy, oh boy, watch. And then the king said to Joab, behold, now I will surely do this thing. Go therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. And we go, wow, David is saying, go get my son, Bring him from Gersher, bring him from Talmai, bring him back, and we're going to go on from there. That's what it looks like. And so here's the question. 
Is this the beginning of reconciliation? You have to read it to find out, but it, it's, uh, it's a sad. <laughs> we'll see it in the next couple of weeks. We're going to see what Absalom does when he does come back. We're going to see what David does when he comes back. And let me say this in a nice way about David. I love David. I mean, I love him in the scripture. He's amazing. One day we'll get to see him. I'm going to go up and say, you know, you're great. You were great. Uh, you did make a few mistakes, but anyway, you're really great. Uh, and he'll say, you made a few mistakes yourself there, son. I go, yeah. But on this, he doesn't do very well. This has been a problem. We'll see it. So Joab knows David wants to have some back, so he sends for the, to Koa for this wise woman. She comes up with this story, and David agrees to help her. And then she says, why don't you do the same thing if you're going to bring my son back? Why don't you bring your son back? And David says, wait a minute. Is Joab behind all this? And the answer is, yeah. And so he says, okay, let's send for Absalom. So let me give you some applications real quickly, and then we'll end. It says, let's realize that danger, sorrow, and problems caused by division and conflict. It destroys the body. If there was, if, listen, let me, we were talking about this in my grow group. We have the lovingest church I've just about ever been in. I mean, you guys are amazing. You love one another. You care about one another. There really isn't divisions and things like that. I mean, it's just amazing. And we know the danger and the sorrow and the problems when there's divisions in a body, when there's conflict within the body. It's just so exciting to see a group of believers loving each other and caring about each other. The second thing is let's forgive one another. Let's do it. In our relationships, we forgive one another. It brings unity and reconciliation. That's, what it's a, that's one of the key things. And, 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 you, and it's best for us. Why? Because instead of us being angry and bitter, we let it go. We don't expect them. Listen, I, I've said this before. I, I have counseled men who are in their 40s who think their fathers did them wrong and they want their fathers to do something. And their fathers are dead. It's never going to happen. And you want to say, let it go. Let it go. It's best for you. Forgiveness is let it go. And it is best for us. And, and uh, forgiveness always helps us. Uh, hurting people hurt people. You're going to be hurt by people, and one of the reasons they hurt you is because they're already hurting. Just don't add to it and don't add to it to yourself. Let's forget the past. If we sin... Confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. If possible, make restitution. If we did something that we can pay it back, then do it. If possible, reconciliation. There may be times it's dangerous to be reconciled, so be careful. And then look to the future. God knows. Forget the things that are behind, press on the things that are ahead. Continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God will use us. Now, the other thing is, what if somebody else sins? What if they hurt us? Forgive always, every time. Release the debt. Go on with your life.